Oh Lord our God, we worship you and praise you this day, and we ask you to grant us understanding into your word. I ask, Father, as your appointed minister of this church, that you would grant me the grace I need to preach your manner in an unadorned fashion that is understandable to your people and pleasing to you. And I ask this blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The man I'd like to speak to you about first here is a very well-known pastor in our denomination. I'm not going to mention his name. He was preaching a sermon to a packed house. A couple of hundred people. Four or five hundred people, if memory serves me correctly. Nice new gray suits, not a hair out of place, and man never has a hair out of place, starched white shirt. And everybody is enraptured by his words because he's, he's a fantastic preacher. But he goes off script just for a little moment. And he decides to inject a little humor into his sermon, which is, generally speaking, a dangerous proposition. And he makes this little quip about little old ladies and their canes. Seems relatively innocent. Gets a few chuckles, goes on with the rest of his sermon. At the end of the service, he's standing in back of the church. <clears throat> People are processing before him, and he's receiving accolades. Oh, thank you. You know, he's a guest preacher. It's a fantastic message. Thank you. Thank you. And then, in the middle of the crowd, comes a little old lady with a cane. Not just a cane, but one of those, those walkers. And she's having a hard time getting to him. And he's aware of what's coming up. And she said, I never thought that you of all preachers would make fun of the elderly. What could he do? All he could do was apologize and try and never make the same mistake again. And that's what he did. Now that's a true story. I've changed a couple of details just in case you ever run into him. He doesn't live around here, but you never know. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. It's very dangerous for a pastor, for a preacher, to go off script, so to speak, even though I usually don't preach with notes, to go off script and go down a rabbit trail and try to inject some humor into the sermon. Because what a pastor is doing is what I call sacred geography. Sacred geography. What does a pastor do, basically? at least on Sunday mornings, for 45 minutes. Sacred geography. I'm telling you how to get to heaven and how not to get to hell. Sacred geography. I'm showing you a road path, a road map, and the person by whom is blazing the path for you, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. That's essentially what I'm doing. And that's why James, as he launches into chapter, what we call chapter 3, and remember I told you when we started this book, that at least for the next couple months, James is unrelenting. He has very little good to say to us. There is, there is no humor. There's not, there's not an iota of laughter in the book of James. He's not joking around. We in the modern American church may want to hear a lot of funny stories from the pulpit, James has got no time for that. 
And he has pretty much nothing but blistering commentary on our moral lives. One after another after another. And remember I told you last week in chapter 1, he basically lays out the groundwork for the rest of the epistle. And the epistle really is a sermon. It's a series of small sermons in written form. And in chapter 3, in chapter 3, he is going to get at something that we all have a problem with. Language. Human speech. And what we need to understand today is that because human speech, the power of words, has such a destructive power in it, we must develop godly speech habits. That's absolutely essential. That's what I want you to take away with you today, that you have to develop godly speech habits. And the first group that James launches into are myself and my colleagues and that fellow who's very famous who got corrected by that diminutive lady with a walker. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall incur a stricter judgment. I have read that verse, I can assure you, at least 600 times in my life. And I'm, 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 hedging, I'm hedging things there. It's probably actually more close to a thousand. That verse is scary to me. If you're not a pastor, it doesn't quite apply to you. And you should be thinking, oh, that's good. Because I don't like this language of a stricter judgment. Or as old school translations say, a stricter condemnation. A stricter standard. Why? For we all stumble in many ways. He continues in chapter 2, verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, perfect man doesn't mean perfect, obviously. James uses the word perfect to mean complete, mature. In other words, if you have godly speech patterns and you're able to control every word, you're a mature person. We all know people who can't control their mouth, don't we? Do you view them as mature? Are those the type of persons that you want to emulate? Are those the type of persons that you say to your children or your grandchildren, hey, that, that's how you want to talk when you grow older. No. And James is warning us, there must have been people here in his, these congregations who really wanted to be standing behind the pulpit. They really wanted that leadership office of teaching. And he's warning them, don't, 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 no. Let not many of you become teachers. This tells us that teaching, preaching, is a spiritual gift. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who, who don't have the gift. And when I say gift, I don't mean, oh, he can speak in public. Listen, I can teach any of you how to speak in public in about a month. It's got nothing to do with that. Pastoring and preaching is a spiritual gift. And each one of you has a spiritual gift as well. Maybe more than one. You might have a gift mix. And I don't know. Maybe there are some future pastors here. It's possible. There's certainly a couple of you that need to be teaching sometime in the future. 
But it says, let not many of you become teachers because we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, let me just ask you this. When James says stricter judgment, what is he talking about? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what he means by a stricter judgment. Pastors and preachers and teachers are held to a higher standard than those in the pews. Why? Because we use words. And we use words and we all stumble in many things. And the whole point of James chapter 3 is that the tongue, our words, can easily be arrows of fire and evil and destruction. So if you are using words as your primary means of living as an adult, as I do, particularly if you're talking about the things of God, then you need to be extremely careful with what you say and what you don't say. Because we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, for you in the pew, you say, oh, good, I'm off the hook. Yes, but please, this is how it can apply to you. Pray for me. Pray for other pastors. Pray that God would raise up men who will preach the unadorned truth of God without fanciness and without watering it down. Because that's how people get saved. And pray that, since I'm your pastor, pray that I take it seriously because I'm going to incur a stricter judgment than you. I will be held to a stricter judgment than any of you here. Unless, of course, you join on my ranks. And then you can, you can line up with me and my fellow pastors last online for the whipping. Because we all stumble in many ways. Now let me ask you this. Imagine that there's two persons who violate a traffic law. One of them is going 67 in a 65 zone on the highway. Technically speaking, that's a, that's a, that's a crime, Correct. If it says 65, that's the speed limit. You go 67, technically speaking, an officer of the law can write you up. He probably won't, because there's other people going 75 and 80. But technically speaking, he could pull you over even if you're going 65.5 and write you up. So this person, none of us would say, hey, you know, he broke the law, got written up. Might think, well, I could have cut him a little slack, but still... Letter of the law, 67. It's there on the radar. We have you. Another person, person number two, driving drunk, driving drugged, going 85 in a school zone as children are crossing the street. Who do you think deserves a stricter fine, a stricter punishment? Obviously, those are exaggerated examples. It's the person who's driving drunk and drugged through a school zone. Because the damage is possibly greater. Now what this tells us by way of inference is that if preachers are held to a stricter judgment, then God must take the preaching of his word extremely seriously. Because, and listen, the more severe the penalty, that shows us that the crime was more serious. Or if you want to look at it, vice versa. The more serious the crime the more severe the penalty. So if preachers receive a stricter and severe, more severe judgment, then that means that what we do is important. And that means that for you in the pew, you need to pay attention. How can you pay attention to the Word? 
You can pray about it beforehand. You can pray about it on Saturday night. Lord, I'm thinking about the pastor. He's wrapping things up. Hopefully he's done by now. I'm always done by before Saturday night, even though I'm wrapping things up. Help me to pay attention. Help us to listen tomorrow. And help him to do his, fulfill his commission. To fulfill his duty in a manner which is pleasing to you. But then, James moves on to the rest of us. He doesn't just wind up on pastors. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And if you're a mature person, the inference in verse 2 is, if you're a mature person, if you're a grown-up spiritually, you'll know what to say, and you'll know when to keep your mouth shut. And listen, we all must admit that that's a very fine art to learn. It's very difficult. Try and do nothing but godly speech this afternoon. It starts with you husbands. It starts with you fathers. Nothing but godly speech in your home. Not a harsh word. Not an unjust word. Not an unkind word. Just for one afternoon in the comfort and confines of your own home. See how well you do. Then try to up the ante and do it for a whole day in the workplace. And then try and do it for a lifetime. And you'll realize, yes indeed, we all stumble in many ways. It is impossible for us not to sin with our words. That's what the inspired word will tell us in just a few minutes. It then gives us these examples in verses 3 and 4. About ways that we control brute beasts. And about the way pilots control ships. Helmsman controls the ship. And the point is is that the bit is small on a horse and the rudder is small on a ship. And by way of example, our tongue, and James isn't obviously talking about our physical tongues here. You do know that, right? He's talking about our speech. The tongue is small. It's very small, but it can cause a great deal of damage. Your tongue can do more damage than your fists. Your tongue can do more damage than a gun. Your tongue can do more damage than a gun. Even so, the tongue is a little member, a little part of the body, and it boasts great things. There it is. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. It boasts great things. <laughs> now you hear people give advice about how to converse with people. And here's what you're told, in case you haven't studied the art of conversation. Get them to talk about themselves, because everybody likes talking about themselves. And you know what? It's a trick that actually works. If you find it hard to be a conversationalist and you feel very shy at parties and you don't like opening up to other persons, one of the tricks you can do, and it does work, is to ask them questions about their life. Not too personal questions, but general questions. And after a minute or two, they will start talking about themselves. And you won't have to talk about yourself. The tongue boasts great things. Do you embellish your accomplishments? 
when you're talking about something that you actually can do? Do you, you know, add a couple of extra juicy details? In other words, do you lie? Do you lie? Lying is a sin. You understand? Now, that's not a cause for if someone says, hey, how do you like my hair? Or do you like my tie? Do you like my hat? That you tell them the brute, blunt, honest truth. That's, it's ugly. You know, what were you thinking? Are you blind? You know, what's wrong with you? It's, it's an ugly dress. It's an ugly hat. You don't say that. An easy way to deflect it is to say, hey, you like it. What do you care what I think? You're wearing it. It's your hat. Another good way to avoid that is not ask people what they think of your outfit. Don't put them on the hot spot. The tongue can do so much damage. It can boast of great things. And you just listen. I, I encourage you to listen to people this week. Listen to what they say. And you will realize that if you had a, a clicker for every useless dumb and boastful, evil thing that the people around you and yourself say, you, you, you would get, you, you, your thumb would jam up. You'd get a cramp in your thumb from hitting that clicker over and over and over. If you did that for a month, you'd, you'd get carpal, carpal tunnel syndrome. Because we all stumble in many ways. Book of Proverbs makes it very clear. When there are many words, transgression is impossible. But he who restrains his lips is wise. In other words, a wise and mature person is known for maybe, just maybe, not talking all that much. You know, I heard someone, a number of times people have said, oh, you know, well, my son or my daughter is quiet. They don't like to talk that much. And my, my reply almost always is, that's okay. The world needs more quiet people. The world could use more quiet people. The world certainly could use more quiet Christians. The Proverbs also talk about a word fitly spoken. In other words, to say the right words at the right time in the right way is, it's not a science, it's an art. And you know how you do it? By paying attention to yourself. And by paying attention to those around you, and by thinking before you speak, and you ask yourself, if I say that, what's going to be the repercussions? And you know what's scary? Even if you do that, even if you're that diligent, you will stumble in this regard. It's terrifying. Believe it or not, and you may have missed it, hopefully you did, I'm going to hear it when I, when I hit the play, replay button on my sermon. I already stumbled. I already stumbled. It's real quick. I tried to move on very fast. I stumbled. And only one or two people might have been affected by what I said. And the tongue is a fire. This is, this is harsh language. A fire. A world of iniquity. A world of sin. You know, we talk about a den of iniquity. Now, what's a den of iniquity? Well, we have the internet now, so there aren't dens of iniquity. A den of iniquity is a place where people used to go on the dark, nasty side of town to do all kinds of things that they wouldn't want anybody else to see them do. And that's what James is saying. that The, it's not a, the tongue isn't a den of iniquity. What is it? A world of iniquity. It's big. 
Tongue is so set among our members, the parts of our body, that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature. And then he says this, it is set on fire by hell. This, this is serious. Your words, and this is talking about bad words, evil words, unnecessary words, they're set on fire by hell. And then he tells us every kind of beast and bird, they've all been tamed. But verse 8, no man, and the word is really person, no man or woman can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Then he gives us the examples. With it we bless our God and Father. Great. We sing hymns to God. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. They're made in the image of God. So you come to church and you sing praises and you sing hymns and you confess your sins and then (laughs) out in the parking lot on the steps you shred somebody. It's going to happen today. Somebody, and I challenge you all, let's do it, let's do a Let's make a covenant here. Let's do a church-wide challenge that today when we walk out those doors, not a harsh, angry, gossipy, slanderous word will be mentioned. I promise you, God will be very pleased with that. But throughout the world today, people will be praising God and then going into the parking lot and saying, boy, that was a terrible sermon. And maybe it was. Did you see what she was wearing? She picked at him again. You know, if they have, you know. Why does she always bring up that prayer request? You ever hear things like that? That's in church. That's amongst the people of God. Who have not only been created in the image of God, but who have been recreated in the image of Christ. Who have the power of the Holy Spirit within them. Do you want to make a big difference in the world? Do you, do you want to really, do you want to set the world, well... Tongues set on fire. Do you want to cool the world down? You want to cool the world down? Start speaking properly. Start speaking like an adult. Start speaking less. Start speaking less. If you talk less, you have less chance of slipping up. Now, you want to use the exact words. So if you need ten, use ten. Don't use eleven. Don't use five. Very difficult. And we have to understand that because human beings are created in the image of God, we are the only creature in the universe that can destroy with speech. Animals communicate through sounds. But I'm pretty certain that tigers can't call each other names. They can get the message across at cheetah, you know, not cheetah, the giraffe over there, dinner, dinner's, dinner's over, over here. They have a way of communicating that. But I'm pretty sure they don't put each other down. I'm pretty sure they don't compliment each other either. But we... How did it go with you this week with your words? I mean, literally, look inside yourself. Did you shred somebody? Did you choose somebody alive? And the people that usually get shredded are the ones who are closest to us because we live in close proximity to them. And it could be something very, very slight. 
Husbands and wives, you need to ask each other, hey, when, when I say that, does it bother you? I promise you, you've got a 50-50 shot of them saying, you know what, I've been waiting for you to ask me that question for 30 years, because yes, every time you say that, it bothers me. It hurts me. What you might think is just a joke, and that's another clue. If you say, I was just joking, that's, you've got a, a 75% chance that if you were just joking, that you just hurt somebody's feelings. Because humor is a dangerous, dangerous gift. Think of how much humor is really ridicule of other people. Think about it. Now, I don't watch television, so I don't watch you know, late night comedians. But generally speaking, their monologues, what are they about? Making fun of people. Making fun of politicians. Making fun of other entertainers. Even making fun of themselves. A vast majority of professional humor is really ridicule of other people. Right? That's what it is. Something silly happens on some reality TV show and and, and people talk about it. And they ridicule people. And it's one thing to ridicule someone that you'll never see. A celebrity or whatnot. You can't hurt them. It's still a sin. But the people around you, the people you love, the people that you would literally lay your life down for, you have to realize that we hurt each other. And we, 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 we die a death of a thousand cuts from small little words. And you couples, married couples, I don't care how long you've been married, think about it. Think about, is there something you always tease your spouse about? It could be something seemingly innocent, but it could be hurting them very, very badly. We do this with our children. Our children pick it up from us, and they do it to themselves. You know, some families, they have a, a gift for teasing and sarcasm. Some families don't. Some families, just it just seems to be in the genes. Boy, they are just able to really kid around with each other. Well, yeah, they're kidding around with each other, but a lot of times, a lot of times, that kidding around is just a way of punching people without actually punching them. We have to be very, very careful with these things, particularly the way we speak to and in front of our children. We have to be very careful what we allow to go into their ears via the television and the internet because words can kill and destroy. Now the positive benefit of this lesson is that if words can destroy, then they have power and they can actually heal as well if used properly. It's set on fire by hell. But if you want to cool the world down, listen, if you're a Christian, what does Jesus say about Christians in the Gospel of John? He says that if you're with me, as a paraphrase, springs of living water will flow from within you. If you're a Christian, you are supposed to be like this fresh spring of water. That What do you do with water? It has two basic functions. It puts out fire and it cleanses, cools down, and cleans up. The springs of living water that are supposed to be gushing forth from us should be bringing healing to people's lives, not harm. And it should be bringing cleansing to the world and not more filth. The world has enough filth in it. 
doesn't need Christians not only participating, but encouraging it. And that's what, Paul, that's what James gets at here at the end. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. These things ought not so to be. And then he asks us these rhetorical questions. And all of us would say, no. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. If you plant an apple tree and want oranges, you're not going to get them. It's not going to happen. If you're a Christian, the seed of the Word of God is within you. And you have to water that seed and let it grow. And when it does, then your words will be cleansed by His Word and your words will become instruments of healing and not harm, so I beg you. Do it for one day and see how good you are at it. No sarcasm, no anger, no cursing. See if you can do it for one afternoon. Try it. You'll like it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would school us in the proper use of language. In Jesus' precious name, amen.